Welcome to season two of the Do More Good podcast. They gave us a second series. Oh, don't tell anybody. You need to kind of just go fast and seize those opportunities. We have no access to any kind of finance whatsoever, but I am drowning in brown <laughs> If your people aren't lined up behind why the change they're trying to make is important, nothing happens. What's the difference between work and home life? It doesn't mean you have to be on 24-7, but you have to be receptive to inspiration. So here we are, James, episode number 24 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? I'm all right, Kenneth. I'm okay. I'm a little bit sad. Oh, really? A little bit sad. Episode 24 is the last one of season two. So it's probably the last time we're going to use the K-Dizzle outro. No, the little K-Dizzle might be finally put to bed, which would be a relief. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So where are we today? We are in the Tapster. We're in the Tapster behind Liverpool Street Station, impossible to find. I've now struggled to find this place twice. Yes. Because we uh, previously interviewed Dina here. Um, but I had a bit more time because I'm on, I'm on half term. You are on half term. How's that been? It's been good. There is a lie about there that um, if you do more stuff with your kids during the day, then you tire them out and they go to bed. That's not true. You just get more <laughs> tired yourself. I've been exhausted. It's getting about half past seven. The kids are like, let's go out. Let's go raving. Come on, let's go. And I'm like, honestly, we've been swimming. We've been to the cinema. I'm, I'm done. Yeah, I'm I've done. had a relaxing week at work. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get back. It's been great. So what have you been up to recently? Um, Anything you want to share? I, would, I know what you've got to share. Come on. Last time you spoke about being a stand-up compare. James, how was your experience being a stand-up compare? <laughs> well, uh, utterly terrifying to start with. And then, as you could imagine, I then had a limelight and a stage to be on. And as soon as you get the first laugh, I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. brilliant. So, yeah, it went really well. People actually laughed. I'm officially a stand-up comedian. Fun. It was good fun. You should do it. Good. I yeah. can imagine you being very good yeah. at it. I, what have I you been it. up to? Just well, busy. Lots going on at work. Running up to event season, obviously. And then today, I was watching the live stream of the. I wish I thought of that. I W I T O T hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Have you seen it? It was really good, and I'm sure we'll come on to it when we get to our guest. But yeah, it was really impressive, actually. So for those of the people that don't know, it's um, something that I think's ran annually by Sophie, which is a showcase of fundraising, innovation and inspiration. Uh, they had about 12 to 14 people up there, I think. And the idea is, is that you have to talk about someone else's idea. So, James, just to put you on the spot, what fundraising or charity-related idea have you been impressed with that wasn't yours? I'm going to go with a dramatic pause, as if I haven't thought about this before recording. Ah, and go cheating? for... I'm going to give a shout out to the guys at London Landmarks. Okay. Zyman Events, obviously. And just the way that they have approached things, an experiential event, they turn things on its head and the way that they treat charity is very different to anybody else who's doing it. Um, they've been really good. I really, yeah, I wish I'd thought of that. How about you? That's, that's fair enough. I, well, unlike you, I didn't really have a lot of time to prepare. So the one thought that comes to mind is a story my wife told me yesterday, which I thought was a great fundraising story. So apparently in the office yesterday, some lady who was probably in her mid, mid-50s apparently came in and was doing some fundraising for, I'm not exactly sure what cause it was for, but she came in dressed as a fairy, full glitter wings, and her fundraising idea for the day was to walk around the office and glitter people. And my wife and her friends were looking at each other going, this is never going to work, like, what, what is she doing kind of thing? And then she proceeded to spend the whole day just pouring cups of glitter over individual staff 
in exchange for one of their colleagues paying for it. So giving them a donation, go and glitter James. Basically, this woman raised like 500 quid by just glittering people around the office. And I was like, brilliant. Yeah. Like, I would have never done that. So there you go. I okay. wish I'd thought of that. I, bet, I mean, uh, 250 of that is pounds had to go to the cleaners. Well, exactly. The the day, that's but what I was thinking. Could yeah. you imagine if someone did that in the office? You'd be like, uh, who's going to clean up the mess? But yeah. no, it oh, worked. Good for her. So I wish I'd thought of that. Nice. There you nice. go. So, on that note, it was only a matter of time before we were joined by our guest tonight. Uh, she became a fundraiser in 2013 and since then has firmly established herself as the It Girl on the charity scene. She kicked off at St Oswald's Hospice in Newcastle before moving to the British Heart Foundation and recently made the switch to consulting with Kida. She's on the IOF National Convention Board, organised the first North East fundraising conference. She's a trustee for Mortal Falls and the founder of Pizza for Losers. We are confidently bestowing BDOT status as she's already been awarded the Rising Star Award at the latest Social CEO Awards. She frequently speaks at conferences, usually drawing parallels between fundraising and Bruce Springsteen or Tinder. And she, in fact, joins us from a sellout presentation at, I wish I'd thought of that, all the way from the tune. If you haven't already guessed or inexplicably not read the show notes, it's Nikki Bell. Hello. Hello, <laughs> Kenneth. Hello, James. Hi. It's so good to see you behind the scenes as well after being an avid listener for so long. <laughs> That's almost sounded convincing. Me. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't pay her to say that. Yeah, so you've just come off stage. Uh, yeah, a few hours ago. Yeah. So I'm feeling pumped, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. So it's a, this is a big day for you then. Um, Two big presentations. Do you know what it was? For me, like, I wish I thought of that has always been that that fundraising event where just the people who are the movers and the sector are there because they want to find out what the next big ideas are. And it was just a supportive, brilliant, amazing place to speak and just unlike anything I've ever done before. So got all uh, the big names of the charity sector were there. Well, anyone who's anyone. Except um, so Kenneth and I <laughs> sat at home. Kenneth, you watched it, it on the watching street. It. I was watching it. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, <laughs> what I meant by that, just people that are like proactively wanting to make that change and they are asking questions and they are looking yep. for the ways to to like their supporters and it was a it was a mint event i had okay. such a good time and you were robbed of victory tonight i hear that you didn't pick up an award that's that's a first isn't it do you know what though worthy winners like camille who won it she spoke i think it was like two after me and she was brilliant she was new she was a new speaker uh she spoke about such an important topic and when she won just the pure joy on her face and she was jumping around everywhere and I'm like, yeah. She was brilliant. I mean, I watched that was because she did it for a bloody good period, didn't she? She did, she did. And so her presentation was about their campaign which was all about um, providing sanitary products to asylum seekers, right? Yep. And it was brilliant and and to say she was first time, I thought her delivery was exceptional. Yeah. She had her timing down, like it was just a really polished performance. She was. I am massively fangirling on her and yeah. She, and, but even when she was talking, you could tell how much she loved that campaign. Yeah. And I think that's why she won. What was there? Any other highlights for you? What, anything you take away from it today? <laughs> um, so there was the campaign with the, um, where people ran in, a, in the shape of a specific part of the male anatomy. Yeah, that was um, pretty good. 
That was a fun. That was a fun campaign, and I think that just ran through the whole event. So the campaigns that people were talking about, they were human, they were humorous, and just everyone was there to have fun today. And it just showed that it doesn't have to be this really serious, really expensive campaign that's going to change the world. It's like mm. actually, there's supporters in the community right now that are already doing amazing stuff, and how can we engage with them so that they do it for our organisation? Mm. And I think that came through a lot yeah. of the fundraising campaigns today, which yeah. I. Was excited about I certainly noticed that I think the the fun element is sometimes missing can be missing from fundraising right as you say it's like we're also serious about certain things but that really came through the fun keeping the fun in fundraising yeah. I was waiting I go. was yeah I was gonna <laughs> yeah. see how long it took you to say that yeah, yeah. and you know Fun's glitter fairies and all that it's all about having a bit of fun and, and making some money along the way hopefully right yeah so talking of fun you um, how did you end up becoming an award winning fundraiser where did it all begin Ooh. So, I mean, you've kind of covered it, really. So I started on the other side, actually. So I was a part of the CSR team for Tesco Bank. Uh, oh, God, like nine years ago. And I fundraised for Northeast Children's Charities, so putting events on, very community-led. And just quickly realized that this is something that you can do for a living, and it's wonderful. I volunteered for a local hospice, St. Oswald's Hospice because I knew that I wanted to work there. And I volunteered there for a year and a half and eventually got on their team, leading um, just very small Christmas community campaigns. And then when I got into it, I'm not someone that does stuff by half, so I learned about the Institute of Fundraising and did their certificate of fundraising. And then from there led the internal face-to-face and telephone teams and their lottery and individual giving campaigns and just ran with it. And it was just an amazing experience to be part of this huge Northeast organization that does amazing things for uh, local families. And then I took a year out, so I was on maternity. And then when I came back, I joined the British Heart Foundation and just from there, it just went up a notch. So this is an amazing charity doing amazing things. I learned so much there in my couple of years there. So starting out, you had no background in this whatsoever. You'd done the, the bit with Tesco Bank. So you, you learned it on the ground and, and flew with it and enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. So when I, when I did that, one of my fundraising campaigns was actually, well, what everyone, well, not what everyone does, but I went to Jordan and did um, a trek across the Jordan Desert. And do you know where you have to fundraise to go and, and just kind of make as much noise as possible? It was through that that I learned about fundraising. So I had to put on gigs. I did a fashion show. You do the bake sales. It was the time of the Olympics. So I had the Olympic torch and my local train station has this market every weekend. So I took the Olympic torch along. You're, you're nodding, Kenneth, yeah, yeah, because yeah, you're I've from the North East. It's a great market. Time out market. I'm totally lost. I took the Olympic torch along and just charged people to get their photos taken with it. And it was amazing. And people were draped in the Union Jack and getting the picture took with it. And I was like oh my god like this is just so good you get to talk to people hear their stories like they're so excited and you're helping facilitate that and I was hooked so yeah I started from that side and just learned it along the way but that's why I wanted to do the certificate of fundraising with the IOF because I wanted to kind of professionalize that and just learn what was going on in the background and I think that's what kind of led to my being involved with the IOF now on the other side and being on the convention board and and helping other people get those same steps that I did like right at the beginning We've definitely got, we've got listeners at the IOF, so they will be air punching in the office <laughs> yeah. about that because they're desperate to bring in more training and courses and, and see fundraising as a as a career. So they'll yeah, be yeah, yeah, with that, yeah. And then the big move, the move to the BHF. Yes. 
I love the British Heart Foundation and a role became available there. And do you know when you just look at a job description, you're like, this is me and I know I can do this. And I went to interview and I met uh, Dan McNally, who is one of the best people that I know and I know that you know him too, James. And it was just a fantastic opportunity to develop and grow from there because they are so big in the right people doing the right job and they invest in it and they want people to do well because it reflects great in the organization but then you raise money for the people that it helps as well and they give you the freedom like they trust you they hire the people and they're like I know we can do they can do this job and they just let them go off and do it and I think that's why I grew so much while I was there because I knew I could do the job in just whatever way possible that I could do it they were like just crack on so you mentioned at the start that you did look quite a lot of face-to-face fundraising to kind of start with what did you learn during that time that kind of sticks with you now or through your time at at BHF if you've never started in face-to-face fundraising I massively recommend that everyone volunteers and does at least a day doing it because the people you meet and what you do it's just it brings out something in the in you that you never knew you had so for me as a face-to-face fundraiser I learned how to quickly build rapport with people be resilient because you're knocking on like what 300 doors a day and you're probably getting two or three people saying yes so you learn that it's not about you and then you can adapt like your pictures and everything but not only that like face-to-face fundraising just gave me this ability to be proactive and just understand that to get the most out of fundraising you have to be out there talking to people connecting with people on a human level finding out what they're interested in and I'm running with it and I think everyone should try it at least once and there are some leaders in the sector now who do a day or let their teams go out on the street or yeah. on the doors and I'm all for it it's have you done face to face Kenneth? Uh, yes in <laughs> Australia nice that was even before I got into fundraising so nice. I, can, I, I can empathise with what you're saying about trying it because I think that resilience point making the ask it's all those kind of 101 skills that you that you get from doing it so yeah Uh, I haven't done it recently though it's a brutal job it is but the camaraderie and just the energy behind it is just phenomenal and I have a lot of respect for face-to-face fundraisers street door telephone street fundraiser if you are you can recognise the people that work for charities as they walk past you and ignore you because at least they acknowledge you (laughs) like give you a sympathetic smile as they're walking past like have a nice day yeah (laughs) Yeah. like keep it going good for you yeah yeah. I love tough. them. And as well, like just even the personalities of these people and the skills that they possess, you can tell why some of the greatest, not the great, but some of the people in the sector who were doing amazing things started out face to face. Yeah. I suggest off the top of my head, Sam Butler, he started in face to face. Simon Scriver started in face to face. Kenneth Foreman. Have you heard of him? Face to face. Joel Fitch. Uh, so she works for Fair Share. I'm pretty sure she started in Face as well. And you can just tell by people's energy and just yeah, the yeah, skills yeah. that they've got. You're like, yeah, you're part of the Face to Face crew. You know what it's Go like. It, yeah. So <laughs> after working at a fantastic hospi- hospice such as St. Oswald's and then moving to the BHF, what was that transition like? Because I can imagine from going... And you said you had a year out in between. Was that right? Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, well, what was, six months. Six yeah. months. So what was that transition like? What were some of the things that you experience kind of getting in I guess somewhere where you're very close to the beneficiaries of what you're fundraising for into BHF where you're kind of becoming part of a a bigger corporation so to speak can you talk about that 
Yeah, so when I worked at the hospice, our fundraising office was based right above the hospice. Mm. Some, some mornings you would come in to work and there would be a family in tears because their mams just died. And you see that and you go upstairs and you're like, right, God, this is what I'm working for. So I'm going to absolutely nail this and do the best I can so that other families can have support. And it was a very close-knit team. It was the largest fundraising team in the Northeast. So there's quite a lot of us and we were very lucky that we had very different departments. So when I moved across to the British Heart Foundation, to be able to draw on those different departments wasn't alien to me. But the initial disconnection from the beneficiary was there. I noticed that, you know, I was home working and I think that's why I was like sat in my house by myself like, right, I've got to, I've got to do this. But it really taught me how to be a proactive fundraiser because if you wanted to speak to people and understand their stories and know why you were doing this, you had to go out there and speak with them face to face in their own homes, in the places where they're comfortable. Mm. And that taught me so much because that's what great fundraising is. It's proactive strategic fundraising. And to have to do that, to be able to fundraise well was just phenomenal. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't come into fundraising till probably four years ago. Didn't have any real background with it. Australia was a long time ago. But coming into it, one of the first things I said I wanted to do was go out and see some of the beneficiaries, some of the supporters. And actually, during my first couple of weeks working at ARUK, I went out and visited in their homes, you know, five, six different families and supporters that had been long-term supporters to talk about why they supported and just understand that psychology. And actually, I think in terms of a grounding for what I was then to go on to do, it was absolutely perfect. You know, it just really got me straight into the cause, straight into why I was doing it and, and, and could almost absorb the energy of these people that had been fundraising and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I can certainly empathize with that. And a lot of people for the British Heart Foundation, they were affected by it directly. So the beneficiaries were the people doing the fundraising. So it was too pronged. Yeah. And through having to be proactive, it kind of taught me additional skills uh, like using social media to try and find people to have conversations with and and develop that into support so it was absolutely fantastic and we got loads of support with it and the northeast is just one of the most generous regions that i've fundraised with the stories that they had were just amazing and actually that fed back into our national heart stories team as well and and a girl that i met hannah layford her family was um, a focus of a Christmas campaign that the British Heart Foundation ran. And it's just all about connecting those together and bringing it in. And I feel like if I wasn't home-based and just relied on support coming to me, I would never have figured that out and found the magic in it. British Heart Foundation is where it appears your career really started to go stratospheric. This is where we started filling the, the office with all those awards and trophies that you've picked up over the years. Um, <laughs> You talked a little bit there. It's two. You talked a little bit over there about the culture there. Yeah. Think that contributed to it. It was. Was it always there in you, or I mean, before Dan was stolen cruelly by Sue Ryder from British Heart Foundation, did he have an impact on that as well? Okay. So yeah, a few factors in it. I mean, there's, there's two. There's two awards which I'm really proud of. My my shelves aren't like <laughs> damn weird. So there was a few things. I think yes, to start with the culture and the people. Dan, I could talk for ages about how phenomenal Dan is as a manager and as a leader. He was very much like, if you think that this is going to work, I back you 100% and just go and do it. He, any idea that I came to him with, he never made me feel like it was stupid. It was like, yeah, let's try it. And 
his just energy and passion for what he does and wherever he works is contagious. So I love Dan. I'm very jealous of you now, James, that you get to work with him. I look at him, look at his, you know, deep eyes every day. I love <laughs> it. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> I mean, we go out for lunch, me and Dan, now and again, and sometimes I might look yeah, at he's, him. He's never <laughs> taken me for lunch. Okay, you got me. You got me. <laughs> Bless, I went for lunch with him the other day, actually. We met at Riley's Fish Shack in the Northeast, and it's a fish shack. And we were both like half an hour in, we were like, oh, n- neither of us like fish. Like, why are we here? And we'd both been too polite to say it to the other person. So we kind of just, so, yeah, he's, he's wonderful. Um, and Amanda is uh, a brilliant as well. And she is, so I worked on the brand project at the British Heart Foundation while I was there. And I got to have more interaction with Amanda because it was just a very fast-paced, uh, short-timed campaign that had a lot of senior leadership involvement. And she really pulls you up as a worker. And it's, you know, if you have a question or a result for something, she has like three more questions to go with it. So she really kind of, um, brings you up as a as a fundraiser and, and, and as a leader and she just really wants the sector to work well and to collaborate and work together and I think that's what why she's great at the IOF stuff that she does mm. um, and I felt comfortable putting myself out there because she was never going to call me up and say what are you doing because she was like yes this is my team I'm proud of them and look at who else is like learning from this but I think one of the things that led... I think it was kind of accidental because as a home worker, you have to be shouting about the work that you're doing for people to see it. Because yes, the results will come in and the money will come in. But unless you are like pushing out there, I'm doing this, it's working really well and I want my colleagues to learn from it, no one else is going to hear about it. And with a team of 50 plus community fundraisers, if you sit on a great idea and don't tell anyone about it, you're not going to progress. And so I just started doing that and I found that that's where I had a passion for was sharing my skills and training people and teaching them. And then things kind of escalated from there. And I put myself forward for stuff because I was like, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing really well. And let's it's a really good, I mean, it's a really good lesson, I guess, for anyone who's listening to this thinking about how do they get their career. And I think I can, again, connect with what you're saying about kind of just putting yourself out there and putting yourself into opportunities and things that maybe feel uncomfortable and we've spoke about it quite a lot on this podcast haven't we about being uncomfortable and trying new things and but it's such a difficult thing for some people to comprehend like for some people it's just like that's completely alien right well I'm an introvert surprisingly for me fundraising was a great way to pull through that because you're not I I wasn't Nikki Bell I was St. Oswald's Hospice or the British Heart Foundation and that helped me find a confidence in me that I never knew I had yeah yeah yeah, you're you're absolutely right it's it's just you have to put yourself forward for stuff and get out of your comfort zone so I wish I thought of that today Mm. I emailed them and was like I want to do this because I have a great idea that I want to cover and I think I'd be good at it so let me try and then they did and yeah, if I never put myself forward for that, I wouldn't be here. Oh, talking to you guys today either. Well, there we go. That's it. That's an interesting point, actually. And a question that I scribbled down. I wasn't sure where I was going to drop it in, but this seems like a good point. You're kind of a big deal on Twitter, right? You've got lots of followers. People tend to pick up on what you say. James gets very impressed by followers on I, Twitter, I, I, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't show up about Mind it took you a while to follow me, though. So. <laughs> that's how I judge people. Um, <laughs> Has that changed? As you've become a bit more of a a celebrity within the sector, let's go with it, just go with it. Stop shaking your head at me. 
Do you feel a little bit... You said you've thrown yourself out there before and you've gone for stuff. Now that you know that everyone's going to see those opinions or thoughts, even obviously you can't have a few beers and then post something anymore, has that changed the way that you've approached social or not really? Who says I don't do that anymore? No, I don't. Oh, that's a hard one. Are you saying this is a responsibility? Is that what you're saying? I don't know about responsibility, but just as you get more followers and and, and you know that people are following you and and responding to you, engaging with you, are you a little bit more careful or a little bit more considered about what you put out there or not or... I mean, I've got 10 followers and three of them are inactive accounts. So I don't have that problem. But I'm just wondering, like, if it ever takes off, then what... Are they all the accounts that you've just set up to follow you? Me just talking about what I'd I'd fish for lunch with Dan. (laughs) He hasn't seen that chuffed. That sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I... I think about what I'm posting. Basically, I don't post anything that will get me fired. That has been my rule yeah, that's throughout not the a whole. Good idea, right? Yeah, top, top, top tip for our listeners there. Number yeah, one. there you go. Yeah. Tip number one. I am. Um, yeah, I do think about it, and there have been a few tweets that I've put out there and immediately deleted because I'm like, that's horrendous crack, and no one wants to hear that. But yeah, I think just more about this. There's usually about ten to twenty people that I have in my mind when I tweet something, and I'm like, these people are going to see it, and what image of me do I want them to have because me being someone that lives in the northeast I don't get a lot of face-to-face time with the people in the sector or when I was a fundraiser supporters and if all they know of me are these five tweets that I put out a day what image of me do I want that to be and I and I have to manage it carefully because I am community I do have that kind of bouncy um personality and we have that northern um Thank you for bouncy personality that comes with it. And obviously I want them to know that I'm a great fundraiser, that I do this amazing work as well. And that, you know, I do a lot of strategy and uh, not serious stuff, but, you know, I can do the graft as well. So like we were talking about that campaign earlier with the uh, Irish, I thought of that. And I was like, I'm not going to tweet this out there because when I go, when, when people go on my timeline, I don't want this to be the first thing that they see. Because I know that people come to my timeline because they want to work with a consultant that's going to help them do great work in their charity. So, yeah, I have to be very mm. considered about what I put out there. And it is a carefully curated timeline. No, that's... I mean, yeah. But then it's still me. Do you know what I mean? It's but still it's for, me. But it's a, tool, it's a marketing tool, right? Effectively it, yeah, for you and, and, and yeah. your business and your role. And you have to have that... Well, yours, James, is just a disgrace, <laughs> to be honest, essentially. <laughs> no, it's, it's not quite that bad. Nah. Not quite that no. bad. So then you've, you've just mentioned it there, the, the big move to consultancy. Yeah. How did that come about and how's it been? So not to go too much into it, but um, with the national organisations, there isn't a lot of progression opportunity unless you move to the big city. So, um, and I love the British Art Foundation and before I left... You know, they did give me an audience and I was like, here is an opportunity for a role that I think I'd be great at doing and that I know that we can raise a lot more money from. And it was just more of right idea, wrong time. So for me, it was like, well, how can I have an impact on an organization in the way that I want to do? That means I don't have to move to London because this is an opportunity for me right now. And consulting was the way forward. So consulting means that I can work for... So the, the charities I work with right now, there's one in Dublin, there's uh, a couple in London, a couple in the Northeast. And it means that they're, they're not committing to someone that has to be at a desk constantly. They could just have me for a day or two here and there. And it's just been so wonderful because all of these opportunities that I've wanted to do, I can do now 
um, without having to, to commit to a, a big move, basically. And I would, I would love the opportunity in the future to be back with an organization because it's really hard working for consultancy because you never get to see a project through. You yeah. hand it over to someone to do, and I'm like, ah. I also I imagine do. it's fairly terrifying. It's a bit like you were saying, standing up on stage earlier today, yeah. you walk into a room, people are expecting good stuff from you. There is pressure on you to, yeah. to come up with answers and strategies and ways forward that you're putting pressure on yourself there but yeah and I like to be challenged I guess that's the thing and, and as a community fundraiser you know I could do the work and I knew I could do the work and I knew I could do the background stuff because that's what I was trained to do through the IOF and that's what I'm good at but I never actively got a chance to do it there because there was big teams in London that were doing it so for me consultancy was a way to get involved in this from another side for teams that don't have the capacity or budget to have someone in there full time I was their interim stopgap really and I've been so surprised that the charities that I'm working with are just so on board with community and the relationship fundraising side of things because the landscape of fundraising is, is changing for them so they're not getting the money from trusts and foundations that they used to so they are looking now at a sustainable income and relationships are a big part of it and that's what I'm good at and they want to hear about it and they want to learn and they're just so excited by it because it's new to them and I'm like wow I've been doing this for years but nice to see you <laughs> there's been a lot of t- there's been quite a lot of talk recently and i can't remember where i was listening to this about you know the role of consultants and I'm, you you generally see it or at least i've experienced it in the sector that a lot of people seem to move into it as you suggested at certain points there seems to be a lot of consultants around or contractors but as you say these small organizations that can't afford to have a salaried person in to do a project can bring someone in like yourself who has the expertise and track record of delivering at maybe a big organisation, can come in and ask the right questions, right, to get the answers, to get the organisation to give the right answers. And, and I was, as I was thinking about that question you were talking there, I thought about when you start a new job anywhere, right, it's that time when you're in there for the first three months when you see all of the opportunities, um, you know, and that's kind of been my, myself. I started a new role six months ago. And actually coming to six, seven months now, I'm like, when I first started, there was an idea every single week. Yeah. Now the ideas only come once every two weeks. So, you know, my rate's slowing. But I mean, that initial period is really when you can see, oh, that doesn't work over there. Oh, what about changing this? Or what about changing that? So from that point of view, a consultant can be really hugely yeah. beneficial to any organization. And we're really well placed to ask the questions as well of being like, well, why do you do it this way? Yeah. Whereas someone that's in the team who perhaps still has to work with that person after that isn't comfortable asking that question yeah. so we can kind of come in make things better and more efficient put someone in post so that after we've left it's sustainable and then they can carry on with it and I think the good thing about consultancy is that if you do have someone with that proven track record sometimes it's easier to get past the trustees as well when you put an idea forward of being like right well we want to develop our corporate pipeline rather than hiring someone new or getting you know Sandra who's doing part time Sandra's got enough on. <laughs> she has. She has. She, Sandra's Stats got so much on. Let her do her job and let's get a fundraiser in. And I think this is some of the things with, with um, the smaller organizations as well in, in that realization that fundraising is a profession and yeah. it takes skills to do. And no, Sandra, bless. If there are any Sandra fundraisers out there listening, you're amazing. Yeah. Um, Sandra. <laughs> Sandra, you're, you're great. I don't know why I came up that day. But... Um, <laughs> 
Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it isn't just someone that from accounting can just randomly come across and just do part time. Yeah. And and I think that's the great thing about consultancy because they can bring that skills, they can train people up, and then they can run with it and do great with it. So I'm having a lot of fun. What's a typical size charity that you would be a typical client, or does it vary massively depending on project? Uh, it depends what I'm doing. So if it's a workshop, a training, yeah. Um, or uh, like the the conference stuff. Sorry about the shouting in the background. <laughs> it's good, so. Sandra, she's Sandra. <laughs> she's storming. Sandra's kicking off. I think I'm she's had a couple of glasses of prosecco. <laughs> oh, she's so, um, so. So they. So yeah, if it's like workshops and training, then it would probably be the larger organisations because then they can get a team together, focus on an issue. So I do training on uh, like relationship management, corporates social media for fundraising yeah. or just you know basic like this is how you start a community team mm. so it's usually the larger organizations with that so i did a great workshop with the children's society just before christmas they were absolutely fantastic i was at bernardo's island a couple of weeks ago and then for the smaller medium organizations for them it is more like the interim develop a strategy get it put in place teach them how to do it and then be there for three to six months and then let them carry on and do it so there is a variety and a mix there but it kind of follows along but that's just because that's what i specialize in so that's my general work that's your bag basically yeah it is talking of talking of people's bags (laughs) you have come up with we're going to move on to the next section of how are you going to get from bags to this what a second people's bag (laughs) i'm interested can you remember tedious (laughs) talking of bags this is a great link right my bag is definitely failure Oh, nice. Nicely done. So you've come up with a networking event based around failure. That (laughs) seems like right up my street, my bag. That's my kind of thing. Tell us a little bit more about Pizzas for Losers. Yeah. I'll give you that link. It was very... (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. I just got Sandra screaming in my (laughs) ear. Yeah, yeah. Just Just move it on. Shut up, Sandra. We're we're trying to record a podcast. Pizza for Losers. Tell us all about it. So here's a big scoop for you. I like pizza. I don't know if you guys know. What's your favourite topping? It's a fish. (laughs) What's your favourite topping? Come on, there's got to be... So I I go margarita every time because I think it's a good... James knows this already. So it's a good... um, It's a good way to kind of gauge them against each other because if I chop and change my pizzas at every place, how do I know which place is the best? So if I go margarita, it's just a good tool. (laughs) So yeah, I like pizza. Um, Kenneth, Kenneth, what's yours? (laughs) I'll probably go American Hot. Ooh. Ooh. Um, what about you? I like that the, the um, like other chains are available, but Pizza Express and the the uh, the chicken the hot one. What's the chicken hot uh, one? Is that American d- hot or is d- it d- Polo something? I don't know. Polo. Oh, we're it's terrible. Very good. Yeah. Should try it. So Pizza for Losers. I um, originally it was originally Pizza for Winners. That was the idea. So it was people get ten to fifteen minutes to talk about the last thing that they absolutely nailed and one so whether it was an interview or a pitch or a campaign we wanted to hear what it was strategic steps of how they did it so that we could replicate it which what are you I was going to say people, people have had enough of winners exactly right? that winners. was the thing yeah so pieces for winners who winners. cares <laughs> you want to try doing this podcast you sit <laughs> here with winners every two weeks and they tell you how great they are <laughs> oh man kills me <laughs> and <laughs> I was There's in London. Stand up, James again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was in London and I met with James Gatsby Pete, 
and I was talking to him about the idea and he said the exact same thing. He was like, we are sick of hearing from people yes, going, yeah. I am mint. This is how I did it. And I was like, you're right. And actually, Pizza for Losers sounds so much better. Yeah, it does. But the ironic thing was, I didn't want to do it because I was scared it would be a failure. So on the train, yeah. So on the train on the way home, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to put it out there, see what the response is, and then we'll go from there. And I tweeted it on the way home. Would any people be interested in sharing a time that they failed and be up for speaking about it? And the response that I had from that tweet was just massive. So hang on. So you're trying to sell this into me as people that are constantly bombarded with success. By the Nikki Bell Midas touch, you touch something that shouldn't have worked and it amazingly took off. No, I'm not saying that. Even I just your think worst idea ever <laughs> was a massive success. No, I'm just, I think it's just more people want to talk about their stuff, but where can we talk about it? Because there aren't the platforms there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it has been trickling through. So since I, since I launched Pizza for Losers, there's a session at convention, IOF convention this year, which is I wish I hadn't thought of that, which is along uh, uh, the same theme. There's a uh, networking event called... Uh, effed up I'm not going to say which is, runs along like the same thing but no pizza at that one so you know we, we're already doing it a bit better so yeah so these people so it was originally meant to be a Newcastle event because we don't actually get a lot of stuff in the northeast around fundraising fundraising forums so I was like right this is a Newcastle thing let's do it and then the people that were responding firstly there was too many to host just one event and actually quite a lot of these people were London focused so now we've got a London event on June the 5th a Newcastle event on June the 12th the speakers I'm really excited about. So in London, we've got Kate Collins from Teenage Cancer Trust. We've got Shanali Rodriguez, who is a TEDx speaker, and she used to be at British Heart Foundation. She is amazing. We've got Wayne Murray, who was on I Wish I Thought of That Today. In the Northeast, we've got Kate Lee, uh, Click Sergeant CEO. We've got Ross Millard from The Future Heads. Wow. If anyone's a fan, yeah. because yeah, hundred percent, yeah, the cover of Hounds of Love, oh, which is one oh, of the greatest things yeah. that's ever been written. Yes, <laughs> so he's coming um, because if you're in the music industry, there's a lot of failure to start yeah. with, and obviously he's from the northeast. And we've got the guy who runs the Great North Run. So there's just a lot of kind of I've tried to do it so it's local themed, but very key people in the sector, and it just makes sense. And one thing that I'm really proud of as well is just the diversity of the lineup of both events as well, because that you want to see people like you talking about these things. And if you don't see you represented, then it's not going to resonate. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited. So the full lineup will be announced real soon. But that's is it sold preview. out already? Are there tickets still available? They haven't, I haven't started selling them yet because it's still very early doors. And we have some sponsors that are interested in being part of it. And I want them to be part of the launch of sales. But you know what? Yes. It's, it's, it, I mean, as you t hearing you talk about it there, and obviously you've got some great speakers, so congratulations. It sounds like it's going to be a really successful and hopefully useful event, right? That's what you're putting it out there. You're doing it because you want people to learn from it, take something away, yeah. develop. I couldn't help but thinking we should probably all have that type of meeting in our offices, maybe once we a do month. it. We do it in our weekly do meetings. You? Yeah, um, it's wins and fuck ups. So um, <laughs> you know, things that you can admit to once a week that you, know, you kind of have an amnesty on it. If you if you've managed to cover it up until a Thursday afternoon and got away <laughs> with it, then that's the time that you can talk about it, and no one can kind of shit you down. Yeah, it's a it good idea. About it. So we we do that. Yeah, and yeah. there's a couple of benefits to it. So it stops weighing on your mind because if you're worrying about something that you screwed up, yeah, 
your mind isn't on your actual job and you get stressed and you're more likely to ring in sick because you're like worried about this and then you can't do your job and then the pressure gets on you and then you get burnout. But then on the other side for innovation, if you want to find something that's going to work to connect your organization to the cause, you're not going to get it right first time. But if you're scared of failing, you're never going to try. And just by seeing these industry leaders saying, do you know what? It happened to me and it's normal. The only reason why you haven't heard about it is because you don't really get a chance to talk about it very much. Then hopefully someone will go away and go, do you know what? I've been putting this thing off for ages. I'm going to give it a try now because I've seen this person say it happened to it, them and it's empowering. It, it kind of goes back to the conversation we were having with Roberta two weeks ago when we were talking about she's, try, she's done a YouTube channel where she's trying to inspire um, the next generation of female tech entrepreneurs, right? So she's She's kind of showing her journey as a um, Brazilian coming to this country, not speaking great English, and how she's gone on and been hugely successful. And so she's now trying to pass on some of the lessons to that, to the, you know, the YouTube generation, those millennials or Generation X, is it? Who's coming through and are watching all these things on YouTube, which is all about success and look how great I am and look at all these fun and these toys. And there's not a lot of stuff going on there about failure. So I'm just wondering how can we... You know, even taking that on to that younger generation to show them that failure is quite acceptable because there doesn't seem to be a lot about that, right? Am I missing anything, or is there? I don't know. Maybe, you... maybe it's part of growing up in a uh, a social media culture where if you make a mistake, it's like certainly I did things at school which should never be shared. But had I done them now, it would be all over YouTube or all over Twitter, and I'd be bullied mercilessly until the end of time. So maybe it's part of that growing up in a more connected environment these what, days that people aren't making as much mistakes no but just they're af- i don't know maybe they're more afraid of doing anything that puts them in a situation of making a mistake but the point is i think from pizza for losers and probably going off on a bit of tangent is that you're almost showing that failure is ex- you're showing that failure is acceptable that it's a natural part of the the process when you ever want to do anything and that hugely successful people have failed several times do you think it's news to people, though? I mean, we've seen the memes. Like Everyone knows that failure is a core part of succeeding. So you see stories about Steve Jobs. Yeah. And I think that having that information accessible is a good thing because we learn more about the failures. But it's just still that, like, oh, I know this person failed, but, you know, they're a multi-million heir yeah. and they can afford to or they have space to. Yeah. So yeah, by maybe get a couple of successes under your belt before you have your first... <laughs> don't walk in the door yeah, and then immediately feel <laughs> taking your coat off. You know, don't... You know, do yeah, I think it's that thing of being like, oh, it's all right for them to say because they've made it. But if you're new in your job... <laughs> if you're you don't doing, be ambitious yeah, yeah, about yeah. going for a massive and gamble. It, Sandra, yeah. Sandra just apologised, by the way. Like, they're, they're sorry. Gonna be <laughs> Get them on. They sound like they're having a next guest. Standing behind us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think like for Pizza for Losers, it's accessible because it's, it's our sector. It's our leaders. The people in the audience as possible. Few, I mean, they've said they're going to be quiet, but they definitely have. I think we're been. in the wrong party, aren't we, to be honest? I think we should be over there. Um, it's like they're possible future employers yeah. and I think it's wonderful and I applaud everyone that's put themselves forward to speak. I don't know the full stories about what they're talking about yet. Yeah. They know the gist of it. It has to be a failure that they've had that they can own, that they've went, right, okay, it didn't work out this way, but this is why it's been good in the long run and I'm proud of it yeah. um, and I'm excited to share them. Let's flash to three, four years in the future. What's your real hope and ambition for, for Pizza for Losers? Where do, you, where do you hope it goes? It's just a safe, comfortable space for realness, for people to be able to share 
this the the other side you know i'm on the iof national convention board and we're all about celebrating brilliant fundraising and sharing with people how they can replicate it and do it for themselves in their own organization but you know going to convention is an investment and you know if you talk there isn't space to do all of the failure stuff there um so this is kind of a separate entity to that where it is dedicated just to the failure yeah to leave space for the learning and that this is how you can actually do it so for me, Pizza for Losers, I just want it to be a place where people can be themselves, that they can share real stories and come away from it feeling empowered, but like understanding that these people in these senior possessions are human too. It's happened to them, but that's why they've ended up in that space. And for them to go, right, well, and by the time of the next Pizza for Losers, I'm going to be in that position. I'm going to make such a massive mistake that I'm <laughs> going to get myself on that stage. But good, good that they've made that massive mistake because yeah, it's on be, the yeah. way to getting it right. Yeah. Because after that failure, like that well, could be... I, I tell you what, after that failure, then they, then they move on to your other thing that you're doing at the moment, which is curating the speakers for the IOF convention. Got, yeah, nice, James. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning about segways. He's, he's on it tonight, <laughs> that wasn't isn't he? Set up. Do you know, we know when he's. I mean, you can see the flames <laughs> coming out of his ears. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Or they could nail that job. You know, for some people, they might not have put themselves forward for that interview because they're scared of failing it. Mm. And if they come to this event and they see other people in that same position who've done it well, after that failure, they can be like, Do you know what? It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, "Bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock up." But then it's fine. You're still alive. You're still working for that organization. You're still doing an amazing thing. And you know that it works. The only real failure is if you don't learn from it. You just keep doing it again and again and again. You've listened, you are a, you're a long-time listener to the podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, so IOF convention is shaping up nicely. Are you confident that people are going to be wowed by uh, your selections? It is. I have a lot of respect for what Joel Jenkins does. And I'm really excited to work on the convention board during the time that he's there. And there's just been this real focus on um, getting lots of different voices in there, but also showing different speakers and just different experiences. And my involvement on the board was to bring in those regional voices because I organized the Northeast Fundraising Conference for, for a couple of years. And there was just some phenomenal people from Scotland and Wales and around the regions. And perhaps they don't, they don't have time to put themselves forward for this stuff because they're often in one-person teams. And um, my role in the convention board was to be like, right, you, I want, I'm pointing at you now. So like, it, it was about bringing those voices in and proactively going out there and saying, I've seen this amazing work that you do, come and share it. And I feel like we've got that. And there's some phenomenal speakers that I saw at Scottish conference and the Yorkshire conference who were speaking at convention. And I'm like, yeah, the regions are doing some good work and we're going to see it in action. All right, they're going to take, take those Londoners down. No, and I don't think it's a case of like... Because, I, again, it, I mean, I when I when I did the, the brand stuff with the BHF, I felt like I was a Londoner charity worker, and I get it. And I think it's more about it us is. learning from it. it we're, we're learning from each other, and it's not about us and everywhere else. It's about this one collective sector of learning we, from each other. No, no, no. We actually got an email, actually, didn't we? Um, someone contacted us and said, can you have more guests Welsh, on more from speakers, yeah. uh, other parts of the UK because hi you know, everyone I'm super northern I know so that's <laughs> your, your token northerner oh part, sorry and no. here's me thinking I was invited <laughs> on for my merits no but I you do know, you want it, more YIs Kenny <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good point though and like you I know part of what thing. we've said about this is it's 
this has only worked because, I mean, I live in Cambridge, which is two hours north from here, so not quite as far north as you, but, yeah. you know, it's a decent commute into the office. And this only works because James is based in London and most guests are in London. <laughs> and it would be great to kind of take this on the road at some point. Like, this is what, oh, James is like. <laughs> yes. James wants to stand up tall. Do more good road show. Road show. Yeah, we'll just hire a van, hire you and me, van. driving around the country. Three months six, of... Uh, yes, yeah, I was going to say six. Six, all right, yeah, we'll do that. commit. Um, Sounds but good. yeah, so I think my point is about like we'd be, it's great to kind. Of, Barnsley, <laughs> underrepresented other areas of the UK, and yeah. we mustn't Port forget Talbot, about them. In what we're, we're coming doing. for you. Can it say he's especially like yeah? You can tell the one. On. You can tell the one who's not drinking. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I think yeah, we, we're seeing more of those uh, collaborations coming through from the regions as well. And there's some amazing fundraisers out there doing fantastic things. But I just think it is just more of a case of they haven't got time to dedicate to like speaking and put yeah. themselves forward for stuff. So we have to go out there and, and bring them in. And I think it's just even more than just like the region side of it. And mm. it's like the backgrounds and the experiences and saying like this is for you and we want to hear your voice mm. and the IOF are really pushing that forward at the moment like the Change Collective yeah. is a great example of that and just saying like this is a sector for everyone and convention is a great opportunity to put that in action it's good to hear so good yes look. are you coming in July yeah I'll be there yeah. nice yeah. nice come along as well so while we've got you here, we might try and answer some or ask you some of the big questions about the sector and about the challenges that we're facing at the moment. From all the people that you speak to in the small and the large charities, what's one of the main challenges that you think we're facing at the moment? Is there anything that's particularly like you're noticing more frequently coming up? Whether it, I can imagine that, you know, if you're dealing with small charities, I'm sure they have slightly different challenges. But is there anything that's kind of sticking into your mind that keeps coming up conversation after conversation and... Yeah, so for a bit of context, I specialize in community fundraising and fundraising relationships, so yeah. corporates, individuals. So this might skew my answer somewhat to that particular area. And I touched on it before that a lot of the organizations that I work with have relied quite heavily on consistent income, whether it's through grants or trusts or just big pots of money where they're like, yep, yeah, tick, I can do it. And we are facing a climate and a situation now where that isn't happening. And they are looking now to write, well, how can we make our income sustainable yeah. and also unrestricted? Because that's just going to open up the possibilities for growth. And I think they're reaching that plateau area where they're going to pivot and move into new areas. Or they're going to kind of stick doing the same things that they're doing already. So a lot of the conversations that I'm having with charities are centered around that. And unfortunately, you know, this is conversations that they should have been having a couple of years ago because yeah. relationships take time. Yeah. And to build up that uh, income takes time. But... I can help them with that. And it's great that they're starting that now. But one of the key things that I found for the organizations that have nailed it, and they're like, right, okay, so we know that support-led fundraising and relationship fundraising is the way to go. And we're going to invest in that and we're going to restructure our teams. And this is their direction to go. But then they're not teaching the staff how to do it right and it's kind of like going right okay so we're going to go on this adventure to this island um and this is where relationships are ruling that's where the success is here's a boat but we're not going to teach you how to uh sail the thing and it's people You've got no oars basically <laughs> yes that sounds a lot more succinct than i said yeah. i got i was getting carried away with my, with my <laughs> i was there um, i was there 
but it's and then they flounder and they yeah. they, they panic and yeah. they revert back to quick cash yeah and then these teams are like well why are they not building relationships and it's like well because they've got these targets and they don't understand that building strong relationships that will raise you the big money does take time yeah and they're feeling panic and i felt that panic myself that has led to some failures of my own so i understand why it doesn't work and yeah i i think this so that's another place where i come in because i I then say well this isn't you're not on the wrong path it's absolutely the right path but you need to give your fundraisers the skills and the support and just the confidence that it's going to take time yeah um and and that great things will will come well they're lucky to they're lucky to meet you then and hopefully if there's anyone listening or (laughs) Lucky to work. I with promise that wasn't a pitch. Like it's no, 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 it, 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 <laughs> it's it genuine, didn't come across like, as a pitch, and I think I can understand <laughs> exactly what you're saying. Uh, that these organisations need some expertise to show them how to build the oars. Yeah, relationship right? fundraising isn't an easy thing to do. No. You've got to figure out uh, active listening. You've got to understand because you could sit across from me, Kenneth, and be like, right, okay, well, I want to engage with your charity, and this is what I uh, want from that interaction. I want you to say thank you. I want your report back and great and I could go sweet I'll do that and speak to you again in six months but then you might be like well I'm not getting anything from this so actually this did happen to a charity called Apopo and he won't mind me sharing this example because he shared it with IFC but he had this um, woman who gave a sizable donation and that's exactly what she said she said I just want to find out what you do with this money and he, that's exactly what he did he reported back in six nine months time and said we spent the money on this this is the impact that it had and she was like do you know what that's great, but that relationship isn't there because actually I wanted to be involved in this. I wanted a bit more interaction. So what she needed was something completely different, but he didn't pick up on that because he had in his mind, right, well, at the end of this meeting, I'm going to get this money. And it, you really need to actively listen. You need to pick up on cues from people where they're getting excited about things, where they get passionate about things. And that takes time and skill to learn and just checking in with people and understanding how to connect them with a cause through, you know, creative and wonderful ways as we saw it. I wish I thought of that today, whether it's videos from the front line or paper clipping a, a, a statement that a beneficiary has said thank you for. And it's all of these wonderful things. But if you're a fundraiser that's just been used to going out there and going, can I have money from this or apply to a grant from that? It's a big change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I think that's uh, <laughs> probably a nice point to, to kind of start wrapping it up. I mean, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you joining us today. And good luck with everything. It thank sounds you. like you've got some great initiatives going. You're, I mean, it's the first time we've met tonight, but your passion and energy for the sector really comes through. And, it's, and it feels really authentic and genuine. And you really want to sound like you really want to he- help people. And, and ultimately, oh. I guess that's what we're all here for and, and doing what we do. We are. Um, and thank you for inviting me on. No, no worries. Well. We do have some quick fire questions oh. for you. Do you know what these are? Do I have a what? Do you know what the quick fire questions are? I don't. I wasn't, oh. prepped, I don't, I wasn't prepped for this. Are these written down? Can I Actually, we were talking about, yeah, those are the ones written down. We were talking about trying to change that maybe season three. We can change it up, James. You, better, you guys better tune in because we will have new quick fire questions oh for you. Yeah. Live from Port Talbot. <laughs> on the exactly. Road um, uh, so James, go for it. <clears throat> Nikki Bell. If you could place an ad across Facebook around the world for one day, what would it say and why? Oh, my God. Is it really bad that pizza came to mind? <laughs> Does it have to be fundraising? Um, do you know what? I wouldn't do an ad. I would do 
this huge feel-good post about how wonderful humans are if they connect with each other and just how fantastic Facebook is for facilitating that. But the magic happens offline. So that would be my ad part to the encourage them. The magic happens offline. Yeah, it does. Turn, turn off my and go and do something interesting instead. That kind of vibe to it. Question to m- number two. What's the one bit of advice that you've been given through your career that still sticks with you today? Oh, to be myself. To be yourself. To be myself. So I, and I waver occasionally. Sometimes I'm like, oh God, I'm a bit too bit too northern and i'm like do you know what like a bit, bit too what sorry bit too northern northern well, you know what i was expecting and, I, and we've never met before i was expecting your accent to be a lot broader than it is yeah you haven't got a well, very maybe broad accent. this is my uh phone voice is so it this is like my like when i ring my nana can you speak and like, like when hey. you speak to your mum well my well my mum's a southerner actually oh was she so when i speak to her it goes a bit more cockney <laughs> but this, this do you mean she's from york she's from essex <laughs> yeah oh, yeah 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 For, uh, I was, oh God, I was about to do a southern accent then. I'm so glad. <laughs> I didn't get... I was going to... Uh, she's from... Uh, oh, no, I don't want to do it. Forest Guy. <laughs> it's not good. We've got... No. We, <laughs> no. Sam, no, no, Sam's no. still kicking right, on Okay, there. okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, so I... So just be yourself and be human because, um, again, when people meet you offline, like you guys are today, you want it to be the same person that you've met online yeah. and it just makes things a lot easier and a lot more authentic. And actually the fantastic things that I've got to do and the opportunities that I've got to do are from being me. So I've just got to own it and believe in it and, yeah, stick with it. Ooh, nice. um, and this is a podcast that's focused around people doing good. Is there a particular fundraising story that is one of your favourites? Any one or any campaign that you've really loved? Throughout or the individual someone that stays in your mind I mean were you guys not watching I wish I thought of that before I mean that's literally what I've just done (laughs) can I just use that same one okay so um, for any of your listeners and for you guys there was a fantastic campaign last month um, which was totally supporter-led. It was a guy, Harry Brewis, who I wrongly said was in his 30s and he's 26. He tweeted me today. (laughs) I was like yeah I'm not that old and he sat in his bedroom for 57 hours and did this live stream game-a-thon of Donkey Kong 64 various reasons for why he did it but the wonderful thing about it was that he understood gaming he understood the platforms that he was using and he had this great online audience already from doing that stuff well that he brought them with him told them why it was important to raise money for this organization which was mermaids who'd had lottery funding removed there was just loads of social proofing that was involved in this platform. So there was uh, people could see the donations that were being made. They could see the totalizer. He was talking about stuff and bringing people into the conversation. He was encouraging people to dial in and share their experiences. So again, connecting the audience with the cause that they were given to. And I bloody loved it because it wasn't a campaign that a charity did. It was an individual yeah. doing good with what he did well. And £250,000 he raised wow. from sitting in his bedroom. And I'm wondering, what does that mean for the future of fundraising? Because building relationships with these individuals is going to be difficult. Mm. People have tried already to kind of mimic what they do and they see through it because they're like, we're gamers first. And it's like, does it completely shape how we interact with these people in the community? Is it about one-off amazing campaigns 
that then inspire another one and it's about us finding those individuals and and making them do it for our not making them do it for our organization but making them want to do it for our organization and i just think it's kickstarted a lot of questions and i'm going to be watching very closely to see what happens but check it out uh, there's a hashtag thanks graham Thanks, Graham. Yep, and the guy is at HBomberGuy on Twitter. And if you just Google Donkey Kong, Harry Brewis, Mermaids, it'll come up. I thought it was amazing. Totally blew my mind. That's a good story. Really good story. And it's the second time Donkey Kong's been mentioned in the last two episodes. Yeah, it's trending on this this podcast. (laughs) It's trending on the podcast. So, Nikki, thank you once again for coming on. Uh, If anyone doesn't follow you already on Twitter, (laughs) uh, where would be the best place to find you? Um, Twitter. Um, so at Charity Nikki. Uh, I lurk on LinkedIn, um, which is just my name, Nikki Leobel. And um, yeah, reach out to me and meet me for a cup of tea because I'm all game for it because magic happens offline, right? Magic happens offline. Magic. I think that is the, That's uh, the way to end. Way I mean, we say it. magic happens offline. We're about to go and join Sandra for a Jaeger bomb or two. <laughs> <laughs> They've got the Prosecco out. Sandra's quietened down a little bit over there. Yeah. Uh, but what yeah. else have you got on this week, Kenneth? What's coming up for you? What day are we on today? Today, it's uh, Thursday? Oh, Thursday. 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 So, back in the office tomorrow, and then a nice weekend up to Nottingham to see some family for my nephew's birthday. Cool. So that should be good. Right. Yeah, what about you? Uh, going to see some mates tomorrow, and then prepping for an, another exciting episode of oh, the yes. podcast. We've, We've got, got a nice one coming up as well, haven't we? Uh, another one, hopefully, is at the high level that this one has been. Let's hope so. Let's hope yeah. so. Good well, to see you, mate. All right, we'll leave it there. Nice Cheers, one. guys. Thank you, Nikki. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Before we go, quick quiz for you, Kenneth. Uh, Twitter. Do more good pod. Instagram. Do more good pod. Website. Do more good.uk. Uh, reviews. Please leave them on iTunes and all other good podcast providers are available. MySpace? Uh, little K Dizzle, still going strong. That goes in there. That goes every week. We don't need to do the others. That's great. <laughs> little K.